Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Pipeline Superheroes podcast. Today, we have Emmanuel Turley, CEO of Somatic, which has you know recently graduated from Y Combinator. Um, he's here to talk about that, about the continuous machine learning platform, um, and being a entrepreneur in the Bay Area from not the Bay Area. So uh, however you want to get started, maybe you could talk about uh, your your career path that led you to, to start a company, and, and we can go from there. Sure. Yeah. Thanks, Grant, for, for having me on. So um, I'm originally from France. I grew up there, went to school there. Uh, I started my career in academia about 15 years ago. I was doing particle physics research at CERN, big physics lab in uh, Geneva in Switzerland. And I left, uh, left uh, academia in 2011 and worked at a number of small startups in Europe before moving to the US in 2014 when I joined Instacart, uh, the uh, grocery delivery giant. Uh, at the time, it was still fairly small, about 200 people. So I had to work across all aspects of the product. And uh, towards the end of my time there, I got closer to the data science and machine learning space as sort of a callback to my academic years. Um, and this was my my bridge into ML infrastructure. So in 2018, I had the chance to join Cruise, the self-driving car company based in San Francisco. Uh, and when I joined in 2018, there wasn't much infrastructure around machine learning at Cruise. So I kickstarted with a number of other engineers, the ML platform team, uh, and spent four years building all sorts of system and infrastructure for machine learning from like data processing, uh, lineage tracking, uh, model training, uh, pipeline orchestration, and so on. And I left Cruise in April last year and started Sematic. Sematic is very much based on my experience at Cruise. So essentially, we're building infrastructure tools for machine learning that are based on our learnings from Cruise, and we're making them open source as well. So that's where mm -hmm. we are today. Mm -hmm. Cool. That makes sense. And how did the quest for self-driving cars, like you hear... Um, those that and machine learning are almost synonymous, at least they're used often in the same sentence, seems like a lot of folks and we're really focused on that, that we're in the machine learning space. Um, what, what, what exactly did, uh, Cruz teach you about machine learning? Yeah. So Cruz has a very sort of extreme use case of machine learning. As, as you mentioned, a lot of companies use machine learning at the margins to optimize, for example, a sales funnel or our customer signup funnel or to predict sales for the next month and so on. Uh, but companies like Cruise have machine learning at the core of their products. Without ML, there is no self-driving car. Uh, and so that makes it a little difference. It means that ML becomes critical to the company, which means that infrastructure tools are even more important because that's the, the bread and butter of, of the company. So if you cannot get model metrics to go up, if you cannot get the car to perform well, then you can't launch the product, you can't launch the robotaxis, and there is no business, as opposed to just having slower business if you have a, a business that just uses ML at the margins for optimization. So it means that there's a lot more emphasis on tooling, infrastructure, dev tools, and, and things like that. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Um, and then how does your platform change the paradigm for that? Because, you know, I'm not a machine learning expert, I'll, I'll mm -hmm. say it myself, but I do think that there is, you know, like with any other really innovative tech. There's so much space for infrastructure. It's the famous uh, Levi Strauss example of yes. <laughs> if there's a gold rush, sell the jeans. Yes. Um, so to that point, I would love to just, you know, get the explain like I'm five version of somatic. 
Yeah, for sure. So when I started doing uh, data science and machine learning, it was back in 2017, roughly. The people that were doing it at the time were already software engineers because there wasn't that much training in, in uh, universities and school around machine learning. So these folks were very skilled at infrastructure things, large code bases. They knew how to wrangle different types of technology. The people that are joining the workforce now in machine learning, they have you know degrees from Stanford, MIT, uh, all those big schools, but they usually learn how to do machining in a kind of a sandbox, for example, a Jupyter Notebook. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it's a tool for machine learning. Um, and it's not really realistic in a, in a real sort of uh, uh, work comp in a company environment. And so now the there's a gap between the, the infrastructure, so you know, GPU clusters on, on cloud infrastructure and things like that, and the skills that the workforce has, the new workforce that is joining uh, companies now. So we need to bridge this gap make cloud infrastructure a lot more usable and, and friendly for, for those folks that are mostly focused on modeling and less on infrastructure. So infrastructure has to become a lot easier. As a user, I should not have to learn about Kubernetes jobs or container logs or Docker images to be able to train my model. I should just be able to say, this is my model training code. I need to have you know four GPUs of this kind and this much memory on my VM and that's it. The rest, I don't want to worry about it. So the infrastructure should be able to take care of that. So essentially what's happening today is we have to bridge this gap between uh, infrastructure, cloud infrastructure, and the skills of the workforce. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, you're making it a lot easier to engage with machine learning insofar that it's a platform for you to, to be able to manage it without necessarily having a lot of expertise in machine learning. That's correct. When you are uh, running uh, machine learning training jobs, uh, typically when you do computer vision or large language models, you need to use GPUs, which are typically available only on cloud platforms. So you have to use things like you know AWS, GCP, and so on. And so running a workload on, on those cloud uh, platforms are quite difficult if you're not uh, a software engineer. You need to you know package your code and your dependencies, your driver, whatever it is, in your into a container image, like a Docker image. You need to know how to push it how to deploy it to the cluster, how to implement the monitoring on the cluster and so on. It's a lot of you know a lot of things to to have to know. And if you are a machining engineer, you don't know those things. You your specialty is to worry about the architecture of the model, the performance of the model, look at data and so on. So mm -hmm. there needs to be a layer um, that that connects the, the those underlying platform with the skills of the the users that are that need them. And so this is what we're doing. Uh, we make it much easier for people to build end to end pipelines uh, on the cloud. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. And I think like what's an interesting example that that will lead to a question. I promise is um, it reminds me of like Tableau and other platforms that allow the end user, whether a data analyst or an engineer, to play around with data or an infrastructure in an interesting way. And what that opens the door for um, is like really interesting and really diverse sets of projects. So for example, I'm thinking of the um, subreddit data is beautiful where folks will create wonderful Tableau dashboards for like their sleep, you know what I mean? Or like a Sankey chart for their own job applications. Mm -hmm. um, and what I mean is you democratize access to these complex technologies. You put it into a package or a platform that is easier to engage with. So mm -hmm. um, to my point, so to the, the question here is, um, when it comes to like what you've seen folks do with your platform, and I don't know, you know exactly where you at or like from a customer standpoint, but like what are some interesting machine learning projects have you seen that um, Somatic has been able to enable, um, and also like uh, like maybe ones that surprised you. 
Yeah, for sure. So you're very you're correct about your assessment about all those tools. There's this popular tool called DBT also that lets people query large data, uh, databases without uh, too much uh, technical knowledge. So it's it's very common now. You can even build website like with Webflow, for example, without having to write any code almost and so on. Uh, so there's this kind of trend towards low code. I don't want to say no code because there's always a bit of code necessary at some point, but at least uh, a reduced amount. Um, so at Sematic, Sematic is sort of a inspired by a platform that we built internally at Cruise. And I remember one of our design principles in that to build that platform at Cruise was that it has to be extremely easy to use. And so we made it so uh, a, a random user could onboard themselves, onboard themselves, so not with a, a tutorial or not with a, somebody holding their hands in a couple of hours. And what we noticed is that we, so we have a, a support sl a Slack room and we would have teams that would come and ask questions. So it means they had onboarded themselves even without asking us. So they were already using the product uh, just by reading documentation and getting started uh, without us trying to pitch to them and, and getting them to, to use it. So this was a signal that, that we had we had something going on there. Um, so in terms of uh, our customers now, uh, we are seeing those ML engineers do things by themselves. This is really our goal is to empower them to be autonomous. Uh, in the sense of not requiring infrastructure engineers to help them out. So before we had those tools at Cruise, we used to have to pair an infrastructure engineer, a platform engineer, as we call them, with a, uh, a an end user, so an ML engineer, to build the the, the pipeline. So this was extremely uh, non-scalable because it means you need to have one platform engineer assigned to each individual almost model uh, in your uh, in in your in your stack. Uh, so it's very lengthy, it's very inefficient, but if you build a tool that enable those end users to be autonomous, to do things by themselves without requiring too much help from infrastructure engineers, then suddenly the sky's the limit. And we saw this at Cruise, there was a boom in experimentation, the metrics went up the roof suddenly, and eventually this led to the commercial launch of the taxis in both um, SF and then Austin and Phoenix. And, you know, Kyle Vaught, the CEO, the Cruise founder, uh, mentioned on LinkedIn a few weeks ago that they were able to launch in Austin and Phoenix by retraining their model on that data almost without any engineering um, intervention, by just clicking in a, in a UI, pointing to a new data set, retraining the model, looking at metrics, okay, good to go, shipping to the car. And this kind of entirely end-to-end -end automation is kind of the, uh, the, the promised land for us. We would like people to be able to update their models by logging into a dashboard, pointing to a new database table or, or whatever it is, and then uh, updating the model. Because the reality is models degrade over time and, and COVID showed that to everybody. Uh, everybody's model became wrong overnight with COVID because people's habit changed. If models were training automatically, that wouldn't happen. They would pick up those trends, those, those changes in, in user trends. So seeing those end-to-end -end automation to, to us as a platform engineer is really a magical thing to see. Mm -hmm. It sounds like you're creating um, anti-fragile models as well. And what comes to mind there is, you know, and in reading your um, your seed fund announcement, congratulations on that, of course, you. Um, is, you know, what you're really trying to do is create safer, better models. And what that means is, and like, you know, you could put this in your own words as well, um, is automatic feedback loops, like using the COVID example is, you know, collecting fresh data consistently. Um, and then what, what comes to mind there also is the Lindy effect, which is the um, idea that the longer something's been around, it implies that it has a longer 
um, life expectancy as well. So if something has lasted a long time, there's good evidence that that is a durable anti-fragile model. So I wonder how you think about that because, you know, I think that we're still, you know, I would imagine that a majority of the machine learning models, especially the ones in use at companies like Cruise or wherever, were created in the last three, four years. And mm -hmm. we're now coming to a matriculation standpoint where the engineers behind that um, are looking at, okay, how do they build out these feedback loops? Um, yeah. So curious how you think about like longevity within machine learning models and how much of an objective that is for you. Yeah, yeah. So I think about this in two ways. I think about it, about the longevity of the model itself, as you mentioned, but also uh, of the infrastructure. So the model itself, if you do not build this feedback loop of collecting fresh data, identifying moments where your model did not perform well, relabel those instances and add it to your training data sets, your model will invariably just get, get worse and worse over time. And the initial investment that you made to build this model will just go to waste because you, okay, you spend three months building a model, ship it to production, and then you never update it. Uh, it means that you, you might as well not have done it in the first place. So it's really imperative for anybody that does machine learning, especially if it's critical to your business, to build this feedback loop of identifying moments where your models did not perform well. For Cruise, it was things like swerve around objects or, or hard push on the brakes. Um, and so on. So this is really important for anybody doing doing ML. So this is for the longevity of the of the model. Without a, a feedback loop, a model is not a um, a sort of static entity. It is a living thing that needs to always learn, keep learning from its mistake. That's from the model side. From the infrastructure side, we've seen seen this at Cruise and all my my uh, previous jobs as well. Many times, uh, infrastructure product get built, have a shelf life of six, 12 months, and then they get rebuilt because the, the uh, requirements change or because the initial design was not generic enough. And that's a, a huge cost for companies to always have to fund new infrastructure products. Like think about a team of five infrastructure engineers that costs a million dollars a year. So if you always have to rebuild the same tools, it's a huge waste of money. So it means you have to build tools for the long run. So things that are sufficiently generic to be extensible, to be scalable, and not to overfit on one particular use case. So this is something we focused on a lot at Cruise because in the early days of the ML platform team in 2018, 2019, we built things that were suboptimal and we had to rebuild them after 12 months. So the goal is to build tools for the next 10 years. Uh, so there should be generic enough. They should be able to adapt to new trends and new things that come out. Uh, so they should not over rotate on one particular use case and not overfit uh, so that they can uh, remain relevant for the next decade. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, very interesting. I think that like, you know, I haven't heard too many uh, machine learning companies with the same prerogative, the same North Star of sustainability and the future. Um, but to change gears a bit, a lot of folks listening to this may be considering applying to Y Combinator. Um, we'd love to hear just what your experience like with that was. Um, I know it's you know a really important uh, pro process for companies, especially as they're going through seed funding and really what you learned from the entire Y Combinator experience. Yeah, for sure. So uh, we actually applied to YC the day before the deadline. We didn't realize uh, we were still thinking about, OK, what to do after cruise. We do want to start a company, but we don't really know exactly what. And then suddenly we realized, oh, the YC deadline is tomorrow. Should we do it? So we, we just do, did it. The actual, actual application itself is very lightweight. Uh, you fill up a form, uh, you do a demo video of your product or some, some mock-ups if you don't have a product yet. And then an intro a video of yourself, I think a 30 second in intro video. So it's very lightweight. And then you get called in for a video interview, which I think 15 minutes of rapid fire questions. 
Um, so uh, it's it's not a lot of work to to apply to YC, but uh, it's potentially very much worth it. So when we got the call to uh, to when we got accepted into YC, we took a pause. Like, okay, should we do it? Because we had heard from people, oh, you know, YC is not what it used to be. It's a mm -hmm, it mm -hmm. costs a lot, seven percent of your company, and so on. Uh, and so we took a pause. Like, okay, is this a good thing for us to do? We consulted around and a lot of people told us, absolutely, you should do it. And yes, it's it's uh, costly, 7%, but you should think about it as a uh, another co-founder. And that was a great way to put it because what YC brings you is not only $500,000, which is not uh, negligible to get started. It was, it's really helpful to get your first hire, for example, uh, but also a huge network of potential candidates uh, if you need to hire. So you have this uh, work at a startup portal where you get to post your, your job listings and you have very high quality candidates. So that's in itself very valuable. You have also a lot of attention from all the to the VC class of, of the Bay Area and beyond. So around demo day, you will receive uh, you know, hundreds of inbound emails from investors that want to book calls with you. And so this is how you know you pack them all into two, three weeks and then you raise your seed round. If you had to do this without YC, you could definitely do it, but you would have to do a lot of more outbound. So like trying to get intros or, or email, VCs and, and so on. So being part of YC means that you don't really have to worry about this. We're just worried about building a good product, listening to your users, selling your product, and then you will be able to raise money uh, more, more easily. Uh, and then finally, there's the uh, advice side of things. Uh, YC doing the batch, I think it's about two and a half months, uh, will pair you with a set of group partners. So it's typically three or four uh, past founders or there are maybe even some, some, uh, some of them currently in their in their companies. And there will just provide advice for, for you. So it for us, I think it saved us at least six months of, of making mistakes. Of going in the wrong direction, uh, you know, uh, uh, choosing the wrong options, building the wrong product, and so on. So that's a huge, like literally an accelerator, uh, because it saves you from making the early mistakes that almost all companies do. So overall, I would encourage people to uh, definitely apply to to YC. Uh, and if you get, uh, if you don't get in, try again every six months. Uh, some people have tried three, four times before getting in. Um, and uh, focus on you know building something that people want, which is their their mantra. But it's it's very real. Mm -hmm. Cool, really helpful. Thank you. Um, and to to wrap things up, what kind of folks are you looking for at Somatic? This could be customers, um, mm -hmm. you know, fellow engineers, employees. Um, what are you really what are you looking for these days? Yeah, so uh, the types of customer we're looking for at this time are uh, companies of like medium, medium to large size. So let's say Series A to to enterprise that that need uh, to accelerate their ML development. Maybe they already have a couple of models in production uh, that they use to launch their product, but now they're at a point where they need to industrialize this and to be able to retrain easily or try new models and so on. And they're struggling with infrastructure. They can reach out to us. We are a team of five ex-cruise engineers. We have a lot of experience building ML infrastructure for all types of products. And so we can provide advice and we can also uh, help you get started with the right tools. Uh, so that's in terms of, of customers. In terms of, of hires, so we already closed out the founding teams in terms of engineering. So we're, we're good in terms of engineers. But uh, we're definitely interested in working with potentially um, like sales folks that have experienced selling uh, open source dev tools to, to enterprise. Uh, it's a very specific skills because, you know, you're selling to engineers. So you have to be a little bit more straightforward in your pitch. Um, and so if, if people have um, 
interest in joining an early stage company and and building the the sales funnel up uh we're always uh curious to to talk to those folks so they can reach mm -hmm. out to us and uh yeah Cool. Well, there's definitely a lot of funnel folks listening to this. So um, I'll include contact information in the show notes. Um, but Manuel, thank you for the time today. This was really fun. Yeah, thank you so much for having me.